It's 10 minutes after 5 o'clock on this Saturday morning. It looks like the start of a nice day across much of our Midwest crop area. And it's good to be back with you for our weekly get-together on Saturday to talk about agriculture, the business of producing food and fiber, and now fuel for our cars and trucks. It's time to talk about the vital and essential industry that we need because it produces food not only for us but for the world because we do export so much of what we produce because we can produce it. As a matter of fact, it's been interesting to watch the change in the years that I've been covering agriculture in this country and the world. And probably the biggest change is the fact that we're truly an international industry because of the ability of American farmers to take the technology that companies and individuals are providing and producing for agriculture because of that the production of food and fiber and energy and clothing and you name it has grown exponentially here in this country and uh, some other countries of the world but to those of you out there this morning who are uh, listening and we say thank you for being as effective and as uh, taking technology to do what we do. Thank you for that, and thank you for putting up with the uncertainty of trade agreements and the uncertainty of the weather and, of course, the uncertainty of the markets. It's a very uh, industry that uh, that really is affected by so many things that it cannot control. So anyway, this morning we're going to uh, check in with Jim Fazell. We do that every Saturday morning during the summer to talk about gardens and flowers and vegetables and farmers markets and all of those activity. And again, let me mention on farmers markets that uh, we do uh, have farmers markets going despite uh, some of the delays that we had in getting early planting done. But uh, the rules are a little bit different if you're going to a farmers market because of the COVID-19 situation. So I think some farmers markets do not allow pets, for example. And uh, the way you handle the uh, the uh, produce, uh, don't touch, and all that sort of thing. So follow the rules if you're going to a farmer's market, but uh, farmers have been working for a month or two to get fresh produce ready for the farmer's markets, and uh, we will have them available at uh, many of the communities as well as Chicago again until uh, about October. Oh, and the one thing that I did get a lot of reaction to when I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we will not have Mirai sweet corn at farmers markets this year because of business opportunities. The Twin Garden Farms at Harvard, Illinois are now selling more seed for the Mirai sweet corn than they are producing and selling Mirai sweet corn. So I heard from a lot of people who said, what, no Mirai sweet corn? You'll probably be able to find it, but you know where a lot of that seed is going? Japan. 
because in Japan they love their sweet corn. And uh, I was on the Twin Garden Farms uh, several years ago when the buying group from Japan uh, spent uh, three or four days on the farm at Harvard, Illinois, to uh, learn more about the technology that produced Mirai's sweet corn, because they do like it in that country. But we like it here too. So anyway, there are a lot of other good sweet corns on the market and uh, are soon to become available at those farmers' markets. And uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, because for decades I have said we do too many studies and reports in this country. We're forever getting it publicity on some other study that's been done. But uh, this past week, I got a report on a study that uh, was nothing like I had seen before during my career. Let me quickly uh, read a paragraph or two of this release. Following the fast spread of COVID-19 across Europe and North America in March of this year, many people began stockpiling commodities, including toilet paper. Some companies reported, get this, an increase of up to 70 or 700 percent in toilet paper sales, despite calls from the government to refrain from panic buying or hoarding. In the new study, researchers surveyed 1,029 adults from 35 countries who were recruited through social media. And between March 23 and 29, participants completed the inventory and the questionnaire, which ranked six broad personality domains and shared information on their demographics, perceived threat level of COVID-19, the quarantine behavior, and toilet paper consumption in recent weeks. The most robust predictor of toilet paper stockpiling was the perceived threat posed by the pandemic. People who felt more threatened and tended to stockpile more toilet paper, around 20% of this effect was also most likely to feel threatened and to stockpile toilet paper. And the study goes on to talk about the personality of people who stockpile it and who hoarded toilet paper, uh, along with other products, too, because uh, the area of food and agriculture, I said uh, how many times have I said there is no shortage of food, there is maybe a shortage of labor to process and to transport and to get the food onto the shelves in the supermarkets, but the latest study, I don't know who paid for it. We probably did in one way or another through some of the programs that we support. But anyway, that report came across my desk this week. All right, Jim Fazell standing by to share some ideas for you gardeners and uh, plant growers out there. And we'll join Jim when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. There are lots of things going on this weekend. Father's Day, Flag Day, and uh, Gardening Day. And for that, we turn to Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture. And Jim, it looks like a great 
weekend uh, for gardening or whatever else you want to do. It sure does. It's going to be nice and warm. Summer's going to be here uh, this afternoon at 4.44. I think they said it actually arrives here in uh, Chicagoland. That's when the sun passes its farthest north uh, move of the year and then starts back south again. Uh, we don't need to worry about it moving south very fast because it's going to take six months to get to get down to the farthest south. Anyway, first day of summer today and Father's Day tomorrow, that's uh, another thing we need to celebrate. It seems like there's a celebration of some kind about every weekend, and I'm glad of that because there are a lot of people that look forward to something on the weekend, especially these people that are working from home. You know, you and I have done that for some time. We're used to it, but there's some people that this is kind of traumatic for them not to get the train in the morning and get off downtown or whatever. But anyway, it's a good weekend to be outdoors, to enjoy things. Uh, if uh, you're close to your father and and can go, even if you have to stay six feet apart, apart that doesn't <clears throat> excuse me doesn't seem to make much difference. Uh, go visit anyway. I know I have a friend across the street. His son comes and visits from six feet apart, uh, and he has a job where he's exposed to to the virus. So they need to be cautious about that. Anyway, it's a good day. Uh, several things are happening. You know, I get questions all the time uh, that come up, and one I've gotten now um, with these. Uh, it's a semi-emergence of the cicadas. Uh, people remember 10 years ago or 13 years ago when they came out, and we had a problem with uh, with people itching from the cicadas. They thought maybe the cicadas were biting. Well, they don't bite anything. Uh, but actually what it is, it's a mite. It's an itch mite. And it actually lives on these little eggs that the cicadas lay. Well, they're laying eggs now. In fact, they're just about done. Most of the cicadas, the... the, uh, the uh, uh, the emergence is just about over. They're not flying anymore. We find a lot of the dead ones that have done their thing, laid their eggs. And, and so you can expect if we're going to have these itch mites, it's going to happen now. What happens is this. These mites are able to feed on anything that is soft-bodied. These little eggs that the cicadas have laid are very nicely protected. They're soft-bodied in a nice enclosed area, so the mites proliferate. But a lot of them fall off the tree. If you happen to be picnicking underneath one of those or if you have a big tree that has a lot of cicadas in it uh, and you sit under that and these fall on you, you're going to get bites, particularly on your shoulders, on your head, uh, upper parts of your body where these fall down because they're going to bite anything that's warm and soft. Um, I've had a couple of reports already from people that have, have uh, sat out on their patios under the trees enjoying the cicadas, and uh, they're beginning to get bites. So that's what's causing it. The only thing to do to prevent that is don't sit under the tree that's got cicada eggs in it. And you can tell what those are by the ones where the cicadas were making a lot of noise. And if you have to do that, put, your, put some kind of a cover over you, like an awning or even an umbrella, a patio umbrella. They'll fall on that, and they won't fall on you, and you won't have a problem. Nothing you can do to prevent it from biting you. Uh, uh, the the uh, DEET and so forth that you would use for mosquitoes does no good because they're going to fall on you anyway. Uh, and if you do get bit, calamine lotion seems to be the best thing to, to ease the uh, itching that these things do cause. Anyway, just a forewarning, they're, they're going to be here probably not as many as we had uh, 13 years ago with the major out, outbreak, but they'll be around. And they'll still be making noise? Well, the cicadas, the the uh, periodical cicada, this 13-year emergence, uh, is just about done. We won't hear much more of those. But in another month or so, we're going to begin hearing the dog day cicadas, which come out every year. It's a different species. Um, these that have just finished are black with orange or red wings, red eyes. 
the dog day cicadas are, are gray and green. You'll tell the difference, and they're much larger than these periodical cicadas. Anyway, I've never had any problem with the dog day cicadas because there's usually not as many of them. They don't lay as many eggs. So there's not as much stuff for these pimodes mites to feed on, and we don't have, usually have a problem with them. But where you have a big cluster of these, a lot of these in the tree, where you might have hundreds in one particular tree laying thousands of eggs, these mites can be a problem. So did you get any rain in your rain gauge this week, or do we have to start watering? <laughs> Good question. You know, we've had three-fourths of an inch of rain this month after we had, what, nine or ten inches the month before. Really dry out. I think we've talked about this before. When you have a lot of rain, heavy rainfall, and the soils are taking a lot of moisture, they begin to develop percolation. The water moves through them. You'll notice that they drain pretty well. Especially after a period of time, you begin to get where the moisture goes down faster than you would think. Now, if the rain stops, the moisture keeps moving down, but it pulls air in behind it. Now, that brings in in, uh, dry soils. They dry out very rapidly. And actually, we need an inch of water a week. Now, we got three-quarters of an inch last week, I think it was, and that's it for the month of of June. So we do need to water. We need to put down an inch of water a week. Now, the forecast says that we're going to get rain this coming week, but these are going to be pop-up-type showers, and uh, I think the the 50% coverage is the highest amount that we're going to get, which means there's a 50-50 chance you're going to get none. So you do need to put water on. You need to protect things like trees, and trees are beginning to wilt, especially ones that are newly transplanted. You need to get a sprinkler out underneath those, or if you have one of these irrigating gator bags to put under there, uh, be sure that you use those. Um, The lawns are beginning to brown out. Very easy to put an inch of water on a lawn. It needs to be done. Uh, This is a time of year when uh, we have a long summer ahead of us. We need to try to keep the grass growing as long as we can. And if you can't afford to completely water your grass to keep it green, at least put down a quarter of an inch a week to keep the crowns of these little grass plants from dying. The grass will turn brown, but it won't die. But we do need to put an inch of water on right now if you haven't done it so far. How do you measure an inch? Put a coffee can under your sprinkler. When it has an inch of water in the bottom of it, turn your sprinkler off or move it to the next setting. Now, lawns, um, the borders around lawns, a lot of times while you're irrigating the lawn, you will get the border. If you have new trees, if you have new shrubs, if you have uh, annual flowers that have been put in the border, probably a good idea to go out and water those. If your lawn sprinkler does not cover those areas, uh, set it so it does, or hand water these things. If you're going to hand water them, keep in mind that you need to water each little plant probably uh, a gallon of water Uh, and if you have new shrubs put in you probably need to put three gallons on there Uh, a standard watering can is two and a half gallons so if you put a a watering can on each one of these plants or a half watering can on the little annuals you've got plenty of moisture but it needs to be done Um, it's time we don't need these things to dry out we've spent uh, the spring trying to get our yards ready to go they're ready now we're ready for the summer we need to keep those those plantings that way So what should we be doing with the vegetables that are now growing nicely? Can we start harvesting? Well, some people are already harvesting. I'm not one of those, but I think uh, Gloria said she's got tomatoes ready to go. We have some tomatoes that are green and about the right size, but I'm not going to pick them and make green fried tomatoes. Anyway, there's the, the tomato plants, if you're, if you're growing them in cages and so forth, need to be trained. You need to keep tucking them back in so that they don't 
uh, grow out of the cages. If you're growing pole beans, make sure they're climbing the poles, cucumbers and so forth. We talked about growing uh, uh, plants vertically, vertically a couple of weeks ago. Another thing we need to do, the annuals are, I mean, the perennials uh, are done, the spring flowering bulbs in particular, where the foliage has begun to, ri- begun to ripen on those, we need to cut that foliage off. It's done its thing. We tell people, leave it on until it ripens. It's ripening. Uh, there's some things that can be planted now. You know, we're really just beginning summer, and I know a lot of people don't get started until after the last week of June. That's not here yet. So you can plant beets and beans and, and tomatoes. Uh, one of the things that, that need to be picked right now, or that is being one of the things being picked right now, um, strawberries. They're in the farmer's markets. Um, if you have strawberries in your garden, be sure you keep them picked off so the birds don't get them. Uh, if you need some to enjoy them on your cereal in the morning or on some ice cream in the afternoon, uh, this is the time to get them from the farmer's markets. I know most of them are open uh, uh, this week. Uh, most of them are open. A lot of them are open today. I know about that. In our community and your community up there, Saturday is the day yep. we need to go over. Uh, keep in mind, too, we talked about it last week, that there are some restrictions on these and wear your mask if you have to and and uh, be sure that you maintain your distance according to whatever your your uh, uh, ordinances are in your in your particular area but it's a wonderful time to be out you know it's a uh, 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 beautiful weather what more could we want it's summer uh, time to go out and take a walk or have a picnic even if it's just in the backyard enjoy the day these, these are the things we wait all winter for we really do, and uh, it looks like it'll be a good one. Uh, if we get a shower or two, then we don't have to run the sprinkler because we let That's, Mother Nature do that for us. Right. If you get, In fact, you really need to have a rain gauge out. If we get a half inch of water in, in these pop-up showers, then put another half inch on. If you get an inch of water, don't worry about it. Keep the sprinkler off. Uh, you don't need the water if the grass isn't wilting. And I know a lot of folks run a sprinkler three times a week. You don't really need to do that if you're putting on an inch of water at a time. Anyway, um, keep in mind that the grass does need water and that things are drying out very quickly. A lot of people say, well, we had all this rain. Yes, we did, but it's gone. It's dry yeah, it's now. Gone. <laughs> if you look at the rivers there, that way down, not out of their banks. Well, you have a good flag day. You have a good Father's Day and uh, enjoy the weather, as you say, as much as we get that uh, is suitable for walking and gardening and everything else. So, Jim, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, Orion. Thanks. Jim Fazell, he's our specialist in ornamental horticulture, joins us every week here, so we hope you do too. That's it for this portion of the Saturday Morning Show. 69 degrees on my thermometer outside my studio here in Huntley, Illinois, and the sun beginning to uh, come out for the longest day of the year. It's coming, and I think, what, 442 or so, we uh, will welcome summer to our calendar for 2020. So have a good day and enjoy the outdoors. Right now, it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week, will you let me get something off my chest? Remember when you were little and your mom said, clean your room, and you said, I don't want to, and your mom said, do it anyway. Or when you were older and driving and your dad said, wear your seatbelt, and you replied, I don't want to, and dad said, do it anyway. Well, this is a do-it-anyway moment. When you're out in public, wear a mask. You may not want to, but you can help protect others if you happen to be infected. So do it anyway and do your part. 
Sponsored by the Illinois Department of Public Health and IEMA. Aired in cooperation with IBA and this station. As we come to the end of June Dairy Month, will you let me get something off my chest? This issue has bothered me ever since I was a kid growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, milking cows until I was 20 years old. So my question is, when should it be called milk? And when is it not milk? Today we have soy milk. I never milked a soybean plant in my life. We also have almond milk. I never milked an almond tree in my life. Now we even have oat milk. And oats are something we grew and then ground up and fed to our dairy cattle on the farm. And yet these items are being called milk. And that bothers me. Because I thought a year or two ago we plowed this ground with the officials in Washington, D.C. on what should be labeled milk. It seems to me that the term milk should be used for products that come from a female animal, a cow, a goat, or sheep, not from a plant. I have nothing against my friends who grow soybeans, almonds, or other products that are eventually ground up and made into a liquid that they call milk, but it shouldn't be called milk because it's not. So why not call it a beverage? I know you want to call it milk because of the nutritional value that has been recognized as part of milk as a product for kids and adults ever since I have been involved in the dairy industry. So I'm asking you to humor me. If you're going to buy a liquid labeled milk that is not dairy milk, will you call it a beverage or a drink? because that's really what it is. It is not milk in my book. And I thought we resolved this issue a year or two ago, but no, these beverages are still being labeled milk in TV commercials and in the dairy case at stores. Okay, I got it off my chest. I have had a good June dairy month, and every night before I go to bed, I have a glass of milk real milk. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Media Group coming up on 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on our Saturday morning show. Good to have you along wherever you are because with today's technology I get mail from listeners in New York State and in Pennsylvania and in Wyoming and uh, Idaho and other places all over the country. And back when WGN was a clear channel radio station, which meant there was no other station on our 720 frequency, I would oftentimes get mail from listeners on ships at sea. That's a fascinating part of the technology that we're able to enjoy these days. So anyway, the uh, story on what happened in the markets is always interesting. I keep saying, uh, since the COVID-19 situation, I keep saying that I'm glad 
agricultural markets are a little more quiet than the stock markets because the swings that we see in the stock market, particularly in the Dow and the S&P 500, really get to large amounts during an hour of trade here on Wall Street. So the agricultural markets are a little more quiet than that. So to talk markets, uh, we're going to call on our farm broadcaster friend, Mike Pearson, who, along with his dad, was in this business for a long time. And we're glad to have Mike with us uh, to help both Max and me when we're faced with this situation of doing our broadcast from a home studio rather than, in my case, going to WGN Radio in downtown Chicago. But uh, I'm grateful that we have Bob Ferguson, our engineer, in our studios in downtown Chicago. And he does things like, well, that keep me on track for doing what I should do. And as a matter of fact, he's about to start a uh, report that talks about the cattle market and the hog market and the grain market. So uh, he'll be coming up with his guest from Allendale uh, up at uh, McHenry, Illinois. So stand by because we'll be joining Mike and Steve Georgie when we continue. Tell you what, weather definitely was a driving factor early this last week in the markets. We're joined today with Steve Georgie from Allendale to help us understand what could happen going forward. Steve, as you look out, is weather going to continue to be an issue? Uh, issues or not, right now when you look at the weather scenario that we have, it actually is, you could almost argue that it is bearish up front. And so we do have good rains coming in. Are they going to materialize or are they not? You know, that's going to be the question. We know that moving forward in July, it's going to have to be, do we get rains in July? Do we get rains in August for beans? And so the extended forecasts that came out this past week, those models are showing that we are going to get warm in July. Um, And so will we get the rains now? That's going to be the key thing. So whether or not we can get a weather market is, is going to still be looked at ahead. But as we look at things right now up front, it's not exciting. It's not going to get the market to, to really strengthen. Well, let's talk a little bit about the potential for a weather market, because that has been on the minds of a lot of producers over this past week as we watched that expanding heat dome across the eastern Corn Belt. If a weather market develops, if that heat verifies in July, if that precipitation goes away, we're still looking at over 3 billion bushels, 3.5 yeah. billion bushels, some estimates, or 4 billion bushels of corn for carryout in 2020. Steve, what realistically are some top-end targets for growers if they're trying to make get some sales on the books here for new crop? Yeah, so the things in order to get, seasonally we should see some kind of a bounce in here, right? Mm-hmm. But when we look at things, and really if we're going to break out a balance sheet, 3.3 billion carryout for corn, massive pile. But the big thing is what's going to make that adjustment? We know acreage probably needs to get adjusted lower. Uh, where are we at as far as preventative plant, things like that. But the other side of it is going to be, in order to really cause a more of an effect, we're going to need to see that yield come down. So instead of a 177, 178 average yield, what kind of effect are we going to have? We know that there's been heat, dryness uh, out west. Uh, we know that there's <laughs> winds. Talk to anybody in Nebraska. But the big thing is, is that moving forward, can we start to see that yield down? Can we get that yield back closer to even a 170? Mm-hmm. 172. That's going to make a bigger impact on the balance sheet than sitting here staring and trying to figure out where we're at as far as acreage. So it is important moving forward, especially from these price levels. Yeah. You can call $3 billion, 
But the thing is, though, is that as we adjust that yield, that is going to be extremely important because if we do get the rains and if we get everything else, the balance sheets certainly look bearish moving forward. They look bearish. We just need more demand. I mean, at the end of the day, if we could bring down the supply, that'd be super helpful. But really, coming out of this COVID thing, we need to see demand grow. When you look at the demand picture, and let's talk corn right off the bat, how are exports shaping up and how is ethanol shaping up here in 2020? You know, exports have been okay. We're meeting uh, USDA's pace right now. Um, So that's okay. But as you said, our number two use is ethanol. Well, when you go ahead and you crush that ethanol and you crush the demand for ethanol, can we see that return? And if so, that can adjust that balance sheet very quickly as well. And so as we look at things, ethanol has been improving. We've seen that start to pick up. We've seen good ethanol, better ethanol demand. But the big thing is, is I guess, as we move forward, can we see some more demand for that in order to get this corn and and work through this massive pile in which we're projecting? It's going to be a a frustrating summer for a lot of growers weighing out all of these factors. Before we take a quick break here, Steve, what are your thoughts if a grower has to make some sales? Is this worth worth reowning in this environment? You know, it it is. Um, It is. And when you look at things from last year, right, everyone was talking we had to go to $5 corn. We were going to have this shortage, whatever else it was. We almost have that opposite effect right now. If you do have to make those sales, can we find ways to reown it? Find ways to reown it on the board, reown it in paper, but it is important to make some sales as well. China, huge buyer recently. Are we making enough sales to get back on track to deal with this potentially large soybean crop? Our time to shine is right now. And we are. When you look at export sales specifically for the last this week, this past week, and the previous week, those are record sales for that week. Mm -hmm. So can this continue is really the question. We know that we've got plenty of beans on hand currently. But the question is going to be when we move into that new crop, right? As you guys were expecting to see an increase on that the last USDA report, we were going to see uh, carryout numbers balloon and we were going to go higher. It didn't. We're now at $395 million. So what happens if we continue to have this demand? We are cheaper from the U.S. shipped than looking at what we can ship out of Brazil or Argentina. So it is our time to shine. So can we continue this? Can we keep our relationship with China, at least just status quo? Or will that change? And I think as we move forward, that's the big question. Now, as you take a look at the wheat market, we've also seen decent exports. Uh, you know, not great, but harvest is moving on. We've got a couple of factors the market's trying to balance right now. On the wheat side, what are you really keeping an eagle eye on? Yeah, you know, as we get through harvest, and you know, we were talking earlier that how does these yields look? And it's all over the board. And so as we get going and as we continue to think about this, you know, we are seeing some harvest pressure. That's fine. That's normal. That's what it is. But the big thing is moving forward, it needs to be stemmed from the demand side. What does that look like? How's this demand? Can we see this big carryout numbers we mentioned? Can we see that shift? Can we get some purchases? What's going to happen with Russia? And so when you start looking at all this, there's enough media stuff and media coverage uh, that can make a difference for the wheat market this year, but it's going to be stemmed with demand. It's going to be starting with demand, and, and I want to focus on wheat for just one more question here. We do have big global supplies of wheat. Yeah. When we're looking out for our global export markets in wheat, really, how much room do we have to increase exports given our carryouts? Uh, you know, and that's given our carryouts and given our price, right? When you look at the price, prices are relatively cheap. You've got to also look at our conversion with the dollar. Mm-hmm. Is the dollar, and, and there's two things that I think can trend very hard, one of which is the dollar, the other is hogs. And so when they get there, when they get moving in a direction, they just keep moving. And so 
Is that going to be enough where we can get our dollar to decline enough where we can start seeing goods and services, commodities in general, to find value again? And I think that's where we're at on a global perspective. There is a lot. But it doesn't take much in order to change that picture just a little bit to bring in a little bit more demand. Well, you mentioned the dollar has been on a slide. We're coming up on a five- or six-week slide now in the dollar, though we did find a little bit of bounce here this last week. We've also seen the pork market see very strong exports. Steve, is that can that continue? You know, this... When you, when you look at that, it's very media-driven. Where are we at with China? Phase one deal, right? All these hot-button topics and all these things that are said, what does that look like moving forward? Can we see demand? As we look at the export sales, they were good. Can they be good for a second continuous week? Yeah. We need to get the charts, the technical side of the hog market, to start looking better as well. And so that demand needs to start building on itself and continue, but we also need to get the market a little bit more excited as well. Because, as I mentioned, it trends very hard. When that trend is down, it's down. But when it goes back up again, it could go up pretty quick, too. Beef prices, before we let you go, Steve, we're going to see a a change in sentiment in beef, see that move back to the upside. Man, I hope so. We've got a very sideways market right now. And this is something, there's enough in that media that we talked about in order to keep us chopping around. And I think on the beef side right now, we need to see some kind of spark in order to get this excitement again. Is that in the cash side of things? Is that going to be on the demand side of things? We'll have to see. But we're very sideways right now. We'll wait and see. Steve Georgie from Allendale. And our thanks to Mike Pearson for joining us here Saturday morning to cover every aspect of the markets in agriculture that we can take a look at. We're at uh, 13 minutes before 6 o'clock news time, and I did have a bright spot this week. Well, I do every week, but when I got the news release that did not have the word cancellation, It was a happy day for me because all we've been doing is talking about postponements or cancellations because of the COVID-19 situation. And then this press release came across my desk. The Farm Progress Show 2020 is a go in Boone, Iowa. That was the story that did make me happy on one day this week when it came across my desk because for more than 65 years, the farmers have turned out for the Farm Progress Show uh, for the latest information and uh, news about technology and equipment and all the other things that go to make up our agriculture. And all I've been doing is talking about postponements and uh, cancellations for county fairs and state fairs, FFA conventions, virtual gatherings for FFA for their state conventions. But finally, I got a release that said, nope, the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa, will take place on September 1, 2, and 3. And uh, that's good news, really, because it says a little bit about our returning to some sort of normalcy in some of the activities. And after reporting that the Wisconsin State Fair, the Indiana State Fair, the Illinois State Fair, and the uh, DuCoin State Fair in DuCoin, Illinois, have all been postponed until 2021. It was good news to hear from Matt Youngman and Don Torty of the Farm Progress Companies that the show will go on. 
My only hope is that between now and the date of the show, we'll not have a, an even more serious outbreak of COVID-19 that would make those plans change, because as they said in their uh, press release, it will, of course, be uh, dep- will be determined by the rules whether or not we can gather in crowds and whether or not we can go and take a look at what's new in agriculture uh, will depend on the health officials in the state of Iowa. But what separates Farm Progress Show from a state fair is that this is the important business event for an essential uh, industry where uh, farmers can come together and see the latest technology, the latest equipment. And it's also kind of a reunion time because farmers come from not only the United States, from other countries in the world. There's a family that always comes here from the United Kingdom and other countries, delegations from South America and delegations from Asia that come to the Farm Progress Show. So, I uh, will get Matt Youngman on the line with me next week to talk about what we can expect to see at the Farm Progress Show this year. And again, the location is Boone, Iowa, and uh, the event uh, is September 1, 2, and 3. And you can go online at farmprogress.com and uh, get the schedules and uh, the exhibitors that will be there for those of you who want to attend that show. But in the meantime, uh, I hope we find ways to do county fairs and, of course, state fairs. But we already know that quite a few of those state fairs will be postponed until next year we're at nine minutes before six o'clock and oh we still have to check in with max armstrong for our basf report to give us an idea of where we stand in the current crop year as far as growth and some of the challenges we'll have growing those crops so we'll check in with max when we continue here on the saturday morning show it's time for another weekly visit with our basf technical service representative as we check in with kurt martins as uh, we talk with growers one thing that we uh, know many of them get involved in is their own on-farm field trials and side-by-side comparisons and then there are some who work with companies like basf to uh, check the various uh, practices and also uh, to check the fungicides. We know that there were some field trials last year, some RevEx field trials, and I assume there are probably many more this year. That's right. Last year, there was over 1,500 what we call on-farm RevEx trials where we were getting the, the, the new fungicides, Velpima or Revitec, in the farmer's hands, and we had them split fields, either half, half the field treated with either Velpima or Revitec or and then the other half untreated or against a competitive product then gave us just a tremendous data set to not only see how these products perform on or in the growers' fields themselves, but also back up our replicated research that we have done at third-party trials. And, and, you know, that's where we get the data uh, to support the performance behind these products. And, and that's why we see, and that's why we're confident to say, when you apply, say, RevX on your field, 90, 96% of the time, you're going to see a positive response when you spray Veltima. On your corn, you're going to see it 95% of the time, you're going to see a positive response. Really, really solid data sets 
that come from these on-farm trails. We were with a grower out in central Iowa last year, and this was just ahead of harvest. And the uh, comparison was stark uh, that you could see there, by all means, of those fields that had been treated and uh, those maybe had been treated with another product or hadn't been treated at all. And uh, I would imagine it even shows up a little bit earlier in the season sometimes, doesn't it, before harvest? It does. What's different about these fungicides is that you can actually physically see them, them working. When I say that, you can see that difference between treated and untreated. And I think that was why it's so important to, to get farmers to try these products, you know, on their farms so they can actually see it. That's, that's probably one of the biggest hang-ups growers have had with fungicides. They maybe used one in the past. They couldn't see it working. It was hard for them to actually see it working. With these new fungicides, either Veltima or Revitec, you can physically see those products working in the field. You can see that difference between the treated and untreated. I was asking a farmer a couple of weeks ago, you know, about this kind of economy that we have now and whether you you really, with all the uncertainty that surrounds the, the whole the macroeconomic situation and the continued challenges of the ag economy, if you really venture into something like this, uh, you know, at a time like this, maybe you haven't used fungicides before. He said this is, it was his opinion, this was a kind of grower in Iowa. He said, no, I'm sorry, it was a Nebraska grower. He said, uh, this is when I really need it. He says, we can't afford to not capture every bushel that we can get. Those were his words. That's right. And you want to use a product that's proven to perform, and you can actually see that performance. And that's what we've got with these new fungicides. We've been watching sprayers on the roads and out of the fields doing their work over the past few weeks. Fairly soon, I guess we'll see the Air Force coming in. All right, Kurt? Yeah, pretty soon. Most of our growers are wrapping up their post-corn herbicide uh, applications, uh, have pretty good progress on their soybean herbicide applications, and uh, in the talks, turning over to, to fungicides now. Good talking to you, sir. As always, we'll check in again in about a week, Kurt. Great. Thanks, Max. Uh, our visit with Kurt Martins, BASF Technical Service Representative, who keeps us surprised of what's happening in the fields out there. Well, that's our time for this Saturday morning, and my thanks to uh, Bob Ferguson, the engineer who makes sure that everything happens when it should, but especially thanks to you for joining us every week here on the Saturday Morning Show.